You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. You can take this one, I think. All right, uh, let's see here. We are going to be in the book of Philippians. We're going to start in chapter number four tonight. Philippians chapter number four. Are we live yet, Hannah? So hello to everybody out there that's live. We're live here as well. If that makes sense, it stands to reason. Uh, But in the book of Philippians chapter number four, um, this uh, wonderful church, and Paul's wrapping things up here. um, And I just want to read the first three verses. So we're going to be looking at uh, Philippians uh, 4, 1 through 3, but then I really want to deal with what Paul is having to deal with and what the church at Philippians is dealing with. Uh, and so, uh, and it's a, it's a very important and pertinent subject to us all. All right, the book of Philippians, chapter number 4, and I want to just read the first three verses. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, uh, this, book beg- this chapter begins with the word therefore. And of course, you always... When you look at the word, when you see the word therefore, you always want to find out what? What it's there for. That's right. What it's there for. And so therefore, it harkens back to chapters 1 through 3, um, and specifically uh, chapters 3, but it, it harkens back to the entire what has been spoken previously. And so uh, therefore, and so think of all the goodness. Think about how it began with Paul, you know, thinking about how much he loved them and how much he thanked God upon every remembrance of this great church. Uh, So the book of Philippians has been like a sweet savor. I mean, it's just a sweet savor to the Lord uh, and a sweet savor to us that have been studying it. A pleasant odor as an ancient and a priceless oil or ointment. So he starts off talking about a few different things. Number one, he says, therefore, so he thinks about the, the what's been spoken as a whole, But as we think about Philippi and the Philippian Christians, we think what Paul reflected on as a priceless family. Look again with me there in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brethren, a priceless family, my brethren. Uh, Man, that's not used lightly by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Can you, you know the first time that brethren probably hit Paul or brother hit Paul? Uh, I bet from that first day, whenever... Ananias came to heal the Apostle Paul. Uh, The Bible says, if you remember, Paul was struck blind. He'd been persecuting Christians. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And and, and God spoke uh, after uh, Paul was saved. Of course, he was stricken with blindness. But God spoke to a dear man of God that said, there's a man named Saul over there, and you need to go heal him and so forth. And so when he went over there, the first thing that he said to him was, Brother Saul. Brother Paul, he called him brother. And can you imagine how that rung in the ears of the Apostle Paul, the man that had been trying to persecute and kill these people, and now just like that, this dear brother is calling Paul brother. So a priceless family. And I I am so glad for the family of God, aren't you? Uh, I preached Sunday about I love the church. And thinking about loving the church, I, I think back on those days of, the, the, the people that I met when I got saved by God's grace. And I went over the, a lot of that on Sunday. But man, these people became my brothers and my sisters. These people became so dear to me. And that's just continued on. And this family has grown more and more. Now, here I am in this local church. And I look around at my family. And I look around at people that are my brothers and sisters. Paul told Timothy, he says, admonish the older women as mothers and as fathers and and so forth. The younger, that's children. And it's like, we're just all one big family. So a priceless family, he says, my brethren, and also a powerful love. My brethren, dearly beloved. You're not just my brothers, but I love you. I love you. You are dearly beloved. So the Apostle Paul just continuing to pour out his heart. 
And again, I told you from the time that we started studying Philippians that one of the things that I was excited about is that Philippians reminds me so much of our church. I mean, just the love that we have one for another, the care. Uh, it's just a blessing, a priceless family, I believe, here at Elk Point Baptist Church, a powerful love that we share one for another. And then also a persistent joy. He goes on to say, my joy and crown, my joy and crown. So presently they are his joy. In the future they will be his crown because he helped win them to the Lord. And he encourages them to stand fast and, and so forth. And there's more we could say about that. And again he says, my dearly beloved. But then... Alas, there's a proverbial fly in the ointment. That's an old saying from the book of Proverbs, a, a fly in the ointment, and it talks about, that talks about death, that no matter what you're enjoying in life, uh, the preacher of Ecclesiastes says, you always know in the back of your mind, no matter how sweet it is, you, death is always looming. Uh, and that was kind of the perspective that Ecclesiastes was written from. But in this sense, there's another fly in the ointment. In other words, th this book, this church has smelt so great. It's been such a blessing. But there's a fly in the ointment. There's something that kind of corrupts it. There's something that, that, that takes away from how pleasant it is. And what it is is quarreling. There's trouble. There's people quarreling within the church. Uh, and man, that is something, praise God, that does not remind me of our church. And I'm so thankful for that. But I'm telling you, it is something that is very common in churches. They were quarreling. Now, uh, I wonder, and I ask you here this evening, have you ever got into an argument? <laughs> no? Uh, I know she's lying. That's my wife. Amen? So, uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, he's addressing a church argument, which is a big deal. But what I want to do tonight is I want to study a little bit about a cure for quarreling. The cure for the quarrel. Uh, and I want to talk about quarreling in general between husbands and wives, brothers and sisters in Christ, family members. And I want to try to look a little, little bit about what the Bible says about quarreling, about arguing. Now, go with me, go back with me to what was going on and. And, and, and when Ephroditus took the trip to Rome to see the prisoner, the Apostle Paul. Now just imagine the reunion when Ephroditus and Paul uh, see each other again. Paul has been locked up in prison. He hadn't seen Ephroditus for some time. And yes, Ephroditus is carrying a gift, uh, a love offering from the church at Philippi. But that's not near as valuable as news uh, from a far country. News about his beloved friends. News about his beloved family. I mean, I, th their hearts were just so full when they met each other. I mean, it was, it was just, uh, there was probably some tears, but they were so excited to see each other. Uh, and I can imagine how they rejoiced together as, as Ephroditus shared with him how the church, yes, Paul, the church is continuing to grow. You know, maybe there were things, uh, testimonies shared. Maybe, maybe Ephroditus said, Oh, Paul, do you remember Lydia's brother? Guess what? He's come to Christ. Now he and his family are saved. He and his family are serving in the church now. And, 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 the, and the Philippian jailer, man, his, his, uh, his parents uh, got saved by the grace of God. And his, his youngest son has become a preacher of the gospel. And we don't know, but I imagine there was all these stories. And Paul's heart was overflowing. And, and no doubt Paul asked about this one and he asked about the other one. And finally he says, well, how's Eudeus? How's Sintichi? Uh, how, how are my fellow laborers? How are my sisters doing? And I, I can imagine that all of a sudden, Aphrodite's face changes. His countenance changes. And I can imagine his head drops a little bit. And he says, well, Paul, truth of the matter is, those two women have been quarreling. Something rose up between these two ladies and he begins to tell him what happened between these two women and what has fallen out. And the fact that these two women were uh, arguing, it was, of, it was of enough importance that Paul called them out. So let's stay, if you will, in, back in this time when this letter was written. So that's the reunion of Ephroditus and the Apostle Paul. Ephroditus carries this letter back to Philippi. Everybody gathers together. Hey, we've got a letter from Paul. 
I mean, the church is packed out. And they begin with chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. And verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And they just begin to read this letter. And now, if you remember, we've kind of alluded and hinted, Paul has, to the fact that there's there's kind of been an undercurrent through this entire book. There's been the joy, there's been the praise, but there's been the thing about, hey, you need to find some humility. There's been a little bit to where I think that Eudeus uh, and, and uh, Sintichi would have picked up on what's being said. So can you imagine, here they are, the church is packed out. Everybody's excited as they hear these words being read. And all of a sudden, they get to chapter 4, and, and, and in the congregation sits Eudeus and Sintichi, and then all of a sudden, he say, their names are called out. You need to be of the same mind. See, their sin had become public enough to where it needed to be dealt with publicly. Uh, and for the sake of unity, these ladies were called out. You talk about being humbled. You talk about being challenged because there was something else too. Before this letter ends, uh, Paul is saying, hey, be sure you share this letter with, uh, with Laodicea and Thessalonica. Tell, send this to everybody. And here we are today still reading about these two ladies that got in a quarrel. And I imagine it must have got to the point to where there, you know, you know how quarrels work. There's something about human nature where people kind of like to take sides. Number one, I'm sure this is no kind of doctrinal issue because he's not addressing that. This probably, how do most troubles and quarrels start? I mean, I, I, there's, there's not a necessarily a specific answer, but how do they start? Husband and wife, let's go to our arguments and quarrels. What is it? We get into some big knockdown drag out. And when you start thinking about, what do we start fighting over anyway? What was it? She is right. But the bottom line is something dumb, something in, in, you know, inconsequential, something that don't really matter. That's how a lot, of, a lot of times it's just something else that's brewing. There's something else that's going on. And then we just decide to press a button and we, to try, we decide to start an argument. Uh, and then the other one is, is more than happy to jump in to the argument. Uh, so uh, th these things happen. Uh, but, uh, and, and it's kind of cool when you think about it. It's no wonder that Peter instructs us in 2 Peter 1. And, and while I read this to you, you can turn to uh, 2 Peter if you'd like to. But I'm going to be nailing out some Proverbs here in a little bit, all right? Uh, so be, turn to the book of Proverbs for sure. Uh, if you'd like to turn to Proverbs, I'm going to read to you out of 2, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, where, the, where the, the Lord says to us, And besides this, giving all diligence, and here's what he says, Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. He's saying we need to keep adding to our faith and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, which is phileo, which is brotherly love, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. He said, you need to add brotherly kindness, but to that, you need to add agape. So he's saying you need to, to brotherly kindness is Philadelphia, phileo, it's that brotherly love that we share for one another. But there's times that we need to make sure that we add to that brotherly love, Ron, agape love. Why? Because there's going to be times that we're not going to be very lovable because we're people. There's going to be times, uh, and I, I mentioned it on Sunday, about getting offended and everything and about getting hurt. Uh, there's times that, uh, that people, it, it starts off very um, innocently. It's not that somebody just comes to church and saying, by golly, I'm going to hurt somebody tonight. It just might be, you think about this, it just might be somebody that's had a terrible day and, and is thinking about not even coming to church to start with because they're in such a foul mood, but then they think to themselves, you know what, I need church more than anything tonight. You get to church and all of a sudden the first thing you, happens when you walk in the door, somebody comes up to you and says something stupid. 
or says something offensive, and they're not even meaning, they might even just come up and crack a joke, or they may just say something sarcastic to you, and any other time it wouldn't bother you, but this time it bothered you, and so you say something back, and I've just seen it start with the silly, silliest things, like most arguments do. So one thing that we need to make sure that we add to our brotherly love, that, because there's times it's easy to love one another. It's times that it's harder to love one another. And that's the case in church. It's the case in our marriages. It's the case with friends. There's times it's harder. So we need to add to our uh, brotherly love charity. That's first, or 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now, we're going to go through and try to look a little bit about the cure for the quarrel or a cure for the quarrel. The first thing that I want to see, before we talk about the cure, we need to talk about the cause. What's behind our fighting? We've already said it usually starts with something dumb, but how does it turn into a fight? What's at the heart of an argument? What's at the heart of quarreling, if you will? Huh? You got it. Pride. Just as simple as that. All right, ready? Uh, turn with me with these. I mean, and I'm talking about we're going to be turning. And, and if you don't be or flip or doing whatever you do on your phone, if you got that, Proverbs 13, 10. But be ready because we're going to go to Proverbs 21 after that, then Proverbs 28 after that. But I'd like for you to see these. Proverbs 13, verse 10. The Bible says, what's the first word if you're over there? Only. Only. It's exclusive. Only. Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Only. So the cause is pride. How many does it take? It takes just as many people to fight as it does to gossip. How many does it take? It takes two. Because somebody says, oh, so-and-so's a gossip, but the, the, the gossip goes both ways, the talker and the listener. Both are, a, a gossip's not a gossip if they don't have somebody to share it with. All right? So you, you, you may be a quiet, but you can be a gossiper just by partaking. And you, it takes two to gossip, and it takes two to argue. It takes two to argue. They started it. Well, that may be true, but it takes two for it to turn into contention. What's the cause? Pride. It takes two to fight. You can, you can avoid it or end a fight by letting the conflict go. But if both pursue the strife, it will quickly get worse. Pride that keeps a fight going. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 24. Somebody read that when they get over there. Proverbs 21, verse 24. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. And that just is simply saying this, you said something to me, buddy, you've got it coming. Just buckle your seatbelt. It's coming. Proud and haughty scorner. Look at Proverbs 28, verse 25. Proverbs 28, verse 25. Now, is anyone in here immune from quarreling? Uh, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm not. You know why? Because pride. Because I, uh, I, I'm not willing to take it. I'm not willing. We'll get uh, uh, to that, the cure for it in just a little bit. Uh, but you know what? By God's grace, I, wanna, I want quarreling to be something that's a very rare thing in my life, in my marriage, with my kids, uh, and definitely within the church. It, just, just as we want it to be absent in the church, it would be nice if it were absent in the home as well. Proverbs 28, 25, the Bible says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that pulleth, or putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. All right? So stirring it up. You've got a proud heart. So you stir up strife. I mean, uh, does anybody know, do, do you know anyone else's buttons? All right? I don't know if, I, I, I think I know some buttons, but I'm telling you, there are some people that definitely know my buttons. Right? And maybe, maybe, they don't meet, maybe they don't know they know my buttons, but there's people that push my buttons, all right? But, but the thing is, is if you know somebody's button, but you just keep pushing it anyway, all right? That, that's what it's saying right here. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. I'm going to get this going. 
you know, whatever the case is. Maybe somebody just unintentionally, and you just all of a sudden stir it up. I know this will get her going. I, or I know this will get him going, you know. You stir up strife, you know. That one thing you say, you, you know she can't stand to be compared to her mama. So that's the thing you do. You know, okay, you know, and you call her your mama's name, her mama's name or something, you know. Uh, and, and what are you doing? You're stirring up strife. You're getting one in. All right? He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. Uh, now, what ha so, so that's, that's the main thing you need to understand. Well, no, pre preacher, I, I'm not arguing because, uh, because of pride. I'm just arguing because I'm right. And they need to know that I'm right. Right? I mean, uh, so it's not pride. I just need to be right all the time. It's not pride. It is pride. It's pride. It is pride. Only, only, only by pride cometh contention. That's right. So you just keep stirring it up. All right? And so, uh, so only by pride. Now, so only by pride cometh contention. So we see the cause. But number two, we see the continuance. Go with me, please, to Proverbs 17, verse 14. And this is a different type of, uh, you know, Bible study night, but it's good to be back with people here and people turning pages and uh, interacting and so forth. The continuance. We see the cause, but notice the con continuance. Somebody read for me Proverbs 17, verse 14. All righty, thank you. Uh, the beginning of strife as when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. Now, I'm like, I saw your face just now, Ralph. That verse didn't make sense to me just reading it out. I'm like, what? What's, what, what's water got to do with anything? But I began to study it. And in Solomon's day, uh, this would have been, uh, been understood as an opening in an earthen dam or a dike. In other words, flowing water doesn't stay, uh, stay a small stream, it, but it quickly eats away at the opening of, a, say, an earthen dam like they would have had back in this day and violently escapes in a flood of water. In the same way, a fight will grow quickly if it's not ended at the very beginning. That's the best time to start a fight is before it really starts. How many does it take to fight? Two. So somebody needs to stop it at the beginning. Uh, so uh, we, when we think about this, uh, if a levee is to break, I mean, if water starts coming through an earthen dam, I mean, listen, you know it's not long. It needs to be addressed. Um, I remember, uh, you know, learning about this, uh, one of the greatest uh, disasters involving a, a, a dam. And uh, man, I, I wish I could remember exactly where it was, but, uh, but I believe it was in Europe. And man, just a sad thing. People knew this dam was, uh, was, was failing. And you talk about a wall of water uh, that was up uh, behind this dam. It was, uh, so that dam finally broke, but it had been leaking water and leaking water, and it was never really properly addressed. And they didn't evacuate the town, and there was a lot of people that died. It was a, a terrible uh, thing. But that's what he's saying right here. The water starts coming out. So here's, here's how it goes. You come up, you, somebody says something to you, or you say something. It's like water coming out. It's like water coming out of a dam. And if we start getting involved, if we keep it going, what he's saying is more water's going to come. And before long, it's going to bust open and a lot of people are going to get hurt. Um, so with arguing, we also have to deal with anger. You know, I've heard it said, and I think, I think about this with myself, it convicts my heart about anger. You know, just the guy that says, uh, well, I just blow up every once in a while. I just blow up every once in a while. I don't get mad that often, but I just every once in a while I blow up. And then as if that's okay. Now, how would you feel if you live next to a volcano that just blew up every once in a while? Right? That, that's not okay. It's still dangerous. Uh, I just go off every once in a while. Well, but listen, a gun going off every once in a while can be dangerous enough. So whatever you do tonight, please do not justify your temper. Please do not justify your quarreling. By God's grace, let the Lord speak to you tonight because just like anything else in the Bible, we are challenged with something here 
that may be very difficult for us. And this Sunday in Sunday school, we're going to be studying about a temperament, the choleric temperament. We're going to be studying about a temperament that is given to anger oftentimes and kind of bullying and, uh, and so forth and pride. And so if you, have the, you, if you are born with that temperament, you have a greater struggle with that than some, some of the others uh, that, that, that may. But I also have a struggle with anger sometimes. I'm not an angry person, but I can just fly off the handle just like that. Um, and I hate that. I hate the idea of that. And by God's grace, I don't want to do that anymore. I hate it when I fly off the handle, when I get mad. Uh, but, the, but the continuance, so it breaks through. Uh, strife and contention grow the same way that a flood grows quickly and violently into major battles. And as soon as you sense anger rising or conflict developing, get away and avoid uh, the person and the matter. In other words, it might just be a good idea to walk away. That might be a good way to keep the water from going. If, if you're about to get in an argument, if you're about to get in a quarrel, nope, not doing it. Not doing it. Not doing that today. Not today, devil, because I'm telling you, it's Satan that's working in this stuff. It's Satan that's, that's, that's gained some ground within this great church and Philippi. And I'm telling you, it's Satan that tries to gain ground in our church, in our marriage, in our friendships, in our, our, our relationships with our children or our parents, uh, and where we get angry and where we want to fight and where we, we develop this resentment. There's a lot more that comes along with it than we can deal with tonight. Uh, but... The, the, the best way to do is uh, just don't let the fight get started. Do not answer fighting words with other strong words. Now, I'm going against human nature. And some of you in your pride, or I should say some of us in our pride, can hear what God, God's Word is saying to us right here and saying, I'm not backing down. I'm not backing down. I was taught never to back down. Well, you were taught wrong. You were taught wrong. Now, there's, we, we don't back down from injustice. And we don't back down from seeing somebody else getting hurt. We don't back down if there's somebody that's trying to harm our family. Understand what I'm saying right here. There's a reason that Jesus said that we ought to turn the other cheek. Because he's letting us understand something there. That does not mean that I cannot protect my family. It doesn't mean that I can't protect myself when it comes to serious harm or death or something to that effect. He's not saying, he's not, I don't believe Jesus is teaching just passive, passivism there. But think about what does it mean when you're getting slapped in the cheek? So what? Who's ever gone to the hospital because they were smacked, in the, smacked on the face? The other person may have gone to the hospital, but nobody's ever gone to the hospital for that. Somebody's pointing to some of our more dramatic children, amen, that, oh, smacked in the face and need to go to the hospital. But the, but the point is this. So what? What does... You, anybody ever been slapped in the face? All right? What does getting slapped in the face hurt more than anything? Your ego, your pride. I mean, there's hardly any... I'd rather... I, I mean, would you not almost rather get punched in the face? At least that's respectable. Man, I feel like you're punking me. If you're just slapping me in the face, you're daring me. That's what you're doing. So what Jesus is saying there is get over yourself. Turn the other cheek. Uh, and uh, so you see, it's not saying that there's not a time to stand up and there's, there is a time. There is a time to fight. There is a time to go to war. But I'm telling you, it's not every little offense that comes along. It's not, what you looking at? You looking at me funny? You know, it, it's, it's not, you know, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, a, a door accidentally slamming in the house and you go chasing after it, what, what you doing? What's your problem? You know, or whatever. You know, it's, it's not chasing it down. Fighting words. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Here's something we need to learn. And see, this is hard for me because, again, I'm not an angry person, but my anger is kindled in a hurry. I can get mad in a hurry, all right? So this is a tough one for me. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. I mean, I just got these buttons sometimes, 
And as a whole, I'm pretty chill. As a whole, I'm pretty laid back. But there's these, these certain times that it's just, it's just my go button. You speak to me in a certain way or you say a certain thing. And just like that, I'm answering back with grievous words rather than having a soft answer. Because a soft answer turneth away wrath. Do not reply to strife uh, unless you choose a soft and conciliatory answer to appease the party and end the contention. This is tough stuff, isn't it? Um, if an opening is made in an earthen dam, uh, man, I don't know why I put that there. Anyway, I've already put that. All right, Proverbs 30, verse 33, look at that. This is just another thing on the, the continuance. In other words, it can be stopped. But if we don't stop it, it just gets worse. And in anger, man, we say things in anger that we don't mean. And words matter so much, and the Bible talks about how much they matter. But we say, that's one of the things that happens. We, 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 can, we can say and do things that we don't mean when we get angry. See, here's the reason why we want to act like in our culture, for some reason, being mad is tough. Being mad is macho. Being mad is, man, I'm a man, you know. Or I'm a tough woman or something like that. Really? Because all it is is you're just really a sissy that doesn't have control of your emotions. You're not tough. You're the punk. You're the one that don't have enough resolve to say, you know what, nope, I'm not going to let myself get out of control. I'm in control. I'm going to be able to control myself because I have a grip on myself. I'm a strong enough man to where I can keep from blowing up. See, a, a, a tough guy is not a guy that's going around all the time with a chip on his shoulder looking to uh, punch anybody that looks at him uh, the wrong way. Uh, listen, a tough guy is somebody that can say, you know what, whatever, dude. You know what? I mean, uh, you, you, you're not worth my time. You're not worth me blowing up. You're not worth me uh, losing my testimony. Uh, you're not worth the cortisol, right? <laughs> I mean, the Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But when, so, and I, I, love, I love God's Word so much, but we, we talk about this in prophecy, how the, God's Word is so ahead of time. But it, the, the same is true in medicine and other things. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. God knew when he told Solomon to write that, that when we're happy and when we're joyful, that it releases endorphins into our system that make us healthy, uh, that make us happy. That's good for us. But God also knows when we're angry or when we're depressed or when we're anxious, cortisol and other chemicals released in our system, and it'll mess up your joints. It'll mess up your, it'll mess up your health. Am I saying that right? Somebody's making a funny face. Um, but the, 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 so a merry heart doeth good. It's not worth it. I'm just like, man, everybody's looking in one direction. <laughs> Everybody knows. Amen. All right. Um, so, but, but, but the Bible just continues on here. Hang with me. All right. Proverbs 30, verse 33. The Bible says, surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter. The churning of milk bringeth forth butter. And the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. He's just saying, okay, and I just got to stop right there and tell you all a quick little story. These are the things I do when we have people here that I don't do when I'm just on uh, camera. Uh, but I was thinking about uh, Billy Sunday. He was approached by an atheist that said, uh, basically, you can't prove the Bible's real. It's a fake book. Billy Sunday reaches out and grabs the guy by the nose and rings it and twists it. Makes the guy's nose start bleeding. He says, there you go. The Bible says by the ringing, the ringing of nose bringeth forth blood. Amen. Um, so Billy Sunday. But anyway, that might not be the best message on this, uh, best illustration on this message on anger. Uh, but uh, uh, so, the, so the, the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood, so the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. And what he's just simply saying is, we know that the churning of milk produces butter. That just happens. Ringing the nose produces a nosebleed. Pressing anger in a confrontation produces strife. God repeats time and time again that we should not meddle. We should not be involved with contention. All right? And so lastly, we see the cause, we see the continuance, then we see the cure. Again, we talk about the humility. Remember, this is about Yudi, uh, Yodi, hmm. It's about those two women um, that were fighting in the church, Eudius and Sintichi. Uh, 
Um, and the humility, the, the challenge that they had when the Lord spoke to them about their uh, humility and called them by name. Wise men and women who are honorable and glorious defer anger and pass over offenses. Uh, for the sake of time tonight, I'm going to give you some of these last ones quick, okay? Uh, Proverbs 19.11. Write, write it down. Try to keep up with me if you'd like to. Proverbs 19.11 the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. In other words, my anger may belong to you right now, but I'm going to defer. I'm not, I'm not going to apply it to you. And the Bible says it is his glory to pass over a transgression. You know what? You did me wrong. You did me wrong. You insulted me. You forgot about me. You whatever else. I mean, it was wrong. You, you offended me in what you said. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm passing over the transgression. I'm passing over that transgression. Um, powerful verse. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife. But every fool will be meddling. In other words, a fool's going to get involved no matter what. If you can't stay out of an argument, the Bible clearly says you're a fool. You're a fool. But a wise man knows how to cease from strife. A wise man will defer his anger, and it's his glory to pass over a transgression. Um, let's see. Righteous men know that it is pride that keeps the fight going on, and they know prudence and understanding will not let anger react quickly. Proverbs 16.32. Proverbs 16.32. He that is slow to anger, here's what I was referring to earlier. He that is slow to anger, Proverbs 16.32, is better than the mighty. You know, one of the things I've missed somewhat with uh, the quarantine is not having live sports, but I've got to be honest with you. I like every once in a while turning on the 1978 World's Strongest Man competition because those dudes had style, let me tell you. And, uh, but those strong men and the things they pick up, and you know they'll pick up whole cars and different things like that and pull buses and whatnot. Uh, but the Bible says you can be just a little bitty old guy. You can just be a child. You can be a small woman. And the Bible says this, that, uh, that he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. You're better than that strong person. You're stronger than someone who is physically strong if you are slow to anger. And he that ruleth his Spirit than he that taketh the city. How bad is it? Do how many of you like to read about David's mighty men? Those dudes are bad, man. They are awesome. I mean, they take on like I mean multitudes of people all by themselves. But what he goes to tell us here in the book of Proverbs, he says that he that ruleth his spirit is mightier than that man that taketh a city. I admire David's mighty men. But according to this, we should admire someone that is slow to anger and that, is, uh, uh, and that has control over his spirit than that man, even mightier. If you want to be a mighty man, if you want to be a bad man, so to speak, a tough man, tough guy, tough girl, get control of your spirit. Proverbs 18, verse 6. The Bible says, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. In other words, he's asking for what's coming to him. But a fool's lips enter into contention. So if you get into an argument, you have the lips of a fool, according to Proverbs. Uh, and don't think I'm picking on you because this applies to me as well. They, know, they that know prudence and understanding, again, will, will guard. Proverbs 14, verse 29, the Bible says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. So not only are you strong, but you're smart. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Now again, there are some of us that have a natural tendency to be quick to anger. But I'm telling you, if God's telling you, here's the good thing about God. If God tells you to do something, He'll give you the power to accomplish that. 
So he's not just leaving it up to you. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside. You've got the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we talk a lot about abundant living and the victorious Christian life. This is a part of it. Learning how to control our anger and our spirits. So he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than taketh the city. I like this one in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Anger resteth in the bosom of fools. The conflicts or fights that wise men avoid are those minor personal matters that can be easily sacrificed. And that's what I was referring to earlier. There just needs to be some things that we sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice my pride in this instance. I'm not going to argue about it. I'm not going to argue about it. And, 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 I, and I'm not going to let my anger turn into uh, that smoldering, um, I wish I could think of the New Testament word for it. Maybe, Ralph, you could help me. But, but, but that anger that you keep inside that's like a slow burning. I'm not talking about internalizing anger. I'm talking about dealing with it. And so I'm not talking about, I'm not saying nothing, but by golly, cold shoulder, okay? This is for those that are a little bit more on the passive-aggressive side. What's wrong? Nothing. I can't tell you. I mean, it, it's a sad thing. I think of people that I've had that, that have begin having troubles in church, and you could tell they were having trouble. You could tell there were issues. And, and, and just out of a gracious and caring and, and, and loving spirit like the Apostle Paul, I would go to them and say, Hey, is everything okay? Something just seems off. Something doesn't seem right. Nope, it's fine. That's not what the Bible's instructing here. Not, not, not this prideful, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to go tell everybody else. That's not it. It's not, again, I mentioned it in the marriage, it is not, okay, I'm not going to blow up with you, but you're getting the cold shoulder. It's not that it's going to be that, that you, better, you better wear your coveralls to bed because it is going to be icicles in there, buddy. All right? I mean, cold. I'm not speaking. I, 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 I'm ashamed to admit that I've, uh, that I've, that I've done that. Men are, uh, are known to be pretty bad about that, I think. But I, I hate to admit that I've gotten angry. And just, nope. I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm not talking anymore. I'm done talking. I'm done with you. You know, and I'm telling you, that's still anger. And no, I'm not arguing, but I'm telling you, it's still wrong. It's still problematic. So when we're talking about deferring anger, it doesn't mean holding anger in. It means, say, it means forgiving. It means just like what was said there, basically uh, passing over it. It means um, letting it be sacrificed. Wise men, listen, I mentioned this earlier, I'll mention it again. Wise men do not back down or avoid strife for injustice or for truth. There's times I may be up here preaching the truth. The Bible says to be angry and sin not. Be, be angry and sin not. But the, be, being angry and sin not, the way you know you're being angry and sinning not is that you're not angry for yourself. I don't, know, I don't know how angry you can be because you were wrong and say, I'm being angry and sin and not. Usually, I, 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 it's okay if you're angry over people being taught false doctrine, that is, uh, leading them and blinding them on their road to hell. If that doesn't make you mad, there's something wrong. If it doesn't make you mad that they're killing babies uh, by the thousands, there's something wrong, you know. If it doesn't make you mad that, uh, you know, the, the, the push of the socialists in our country and the infringements, I mean, there's something wrong. But it needs to be a controlled. It needs to be in the right spirit. It needs to not be, you know, to where you're letting loose on other people. Uh, but, but, but there is a righteous anger. Let, let me uh, hasten here. Man alive. Boy. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Let's see, the Bible says this in Proverbs 22, verse 10, Cast out the scorner, and the contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Um, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse 15, By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. 
Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that charity is not easily provoked. Remember, add to brotherly love and brotherly kindness, charity, that agape love. It says that agape is not easily provoked. So that's why we need to add it, because we're people and we can provoke each other to anger. Um, I'm going to give you these uh, here. Psalm 38, verse 12 through 14, the Bible says, They also, here's what David said, They also that seek after my life lay snares for me. And they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not. And I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth there are no reproofs. Now we know that was not always the way David was, but that's Psalm 38, verses 12 through 14, and that would be good, wouldn't it? I'm a deaf man. I'm a dumb man. I can't hear. I can't speak when it comes to the things that people are saying, and I can't reply in that way. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. The Bible says, But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? The cure for contention. The cure, that would have been better than quarreling. A cure for contention. Uh, listen, why don't you just suffer wrong? Before you go suing your brother like they were doing at Corinth, suffer wrong. Now again, there's a, there, there's, there's a limit, there's a line uh, to that. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm just going to let somebody rob me blind and so forth. But it does mean somebody can slight me and be rude, and I can just take the wrong, can I? It at the very least means that, but it must mean even something bigger than that because they were actually going to the judges for it. But, uh, but he says, why not just take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud that, uh, and, and that your brethren. And so basically, and this is between brothers and sisters. Suffer wrong. Uh, all right, I'm wrapping up. I promise. Uh, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm concluding with this. End a conflict today by backing down and walking away. Like a real Christian, like a wise man, and not like a fool. Or better yet, give a gift to the offended person. And that's a whole other thing. Proverbs 21, verse 14, A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and the reward in the bosom uh, strong wrath. Amen? You and your, you and your wife, uh, was, was your wife rude to you? Go, go get her an ice cream. Amen? <laughs> go get her a latte or something. I mean, do something nice for her. Uh, was a brother rude to you at church? Man, go trim his hedges or something. I don't know. Uh, give a gift. <laughs> He's like, he'll really come after me then. <laughs> but uh, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus said, If you come to give an offering to me, and you remember that there's a, a brother that's offended at you, pick up your gift and go get it right first. See, that's one of the reasons this was so serious in the church at Philippi. You can't, you can't have God's blessings on you. And, and if this is starting to infect the church and people are starting to take sides, man, I'm telling you, you God's not going to bless that. That's why you've got to deal with it. James uh, 3, 14, and these are the final verses I'll read tonight. James 3, 14, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Again, don't be proud because you're big and bad, and you're always mad at everybody. No, don't glory, don't boast in that, and lie not against the truth. The truth is what? James 3.15, where he says, oh man, I'm sorry, I, I didn't, didn't write the verses down. Uh, yep, all right, all right, okay. Uh, where the Bible says, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Your strife, your anger, your pride in your anger is straight out of hell, he's saying. It's devilish. Oh, I'm so big and bad and all this stuff. Glory not, he says. This pride descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. 
For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Um, it's kind of cool there, and I'm, I'm finished, but it's an interesting appeal as he closes out in verse 3. He says, my true yoke fellow, which is probably Aphrodite or someone else in the church, he's calling on Clement. He's calling on anybody. He says, we need to help these women. We need to get this resolved. And what it reminded me of, and I'm closing with this illustration. I said it's my last verse. It's not my last story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, all right. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson became very good friends as, uh, as, as they, they were getting together in the Continental Con Congress declaring our independence from England. Became very good friends. They, they were very opposed. They were very different personalities. They became good friends. Uh, they became good friends as they both worked in uh, France to get uh, the France to be our allies and, and raise money and so forth. They were good friends. Thomas Jefferson became good friends with the Adams family. But their political differences began to make them grow apart to the point to where literally the feud, if you think you've ever seen a nasty political feud in America, that, that which was between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson is right up there among any that have ever taken place. It was nasty. Thomas Jefferson was putting articles in the paper, calling out John Adams' son, calling out, accusing him of all kinds of things. I mean, just publicly. John Adams would fire back in the newspapers. It was a terrible thing that all of a sudden these friends became uh, ardent enemies. And this went on for years till they were both old men and retired in their homes. Finally, one of the, one, a mutual friend, John Locke, finally come to John Adams and said, you know what, you should write to Thomas Jefferson. And he convinced him to write. And so, so John Adams wrote to uh, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson wrote back, and these two became best friends once again. But it all started with somebody who was not willing to take sides. Are you for Adams or are you for Jefferson? John Locke said, I'm for neither and I'm for both. Don't take sides in an argument. Paul was telling them in that church, do anybody, pastor, yokes fellow, Clement, anybody in the church, can you get my fellow laborers? Can you please do what you can to get these two sisters back together again? He's begging them. And one thing we can be sure that we do is do not take sides in an argument. You know, say, you know what, I love you. We need to get this thing worked out. Amen.